if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you must be a humble servant. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Before we get into our sermon series message today, first this. Does anyone know, does anyone know what today is? Sunday. Okay, we heard that. I knew somebody was going to say that. Sunday, October 30th, 2022. Now, that's not the answer I'm looking for. That is true. It is Sunday, October 30th, 2022. But that's not what today is. Anybody know this special day, the significance of this day? You don't. It's Reformation Sunday. It is a day on which we recognize this is now, who knows what anniversary is this of what's considered the beginning of the Protestant Reformation when Martin Luther posted the 95 Theses on the Castle Church door in Wittenberg. 505, correct. That is very good. Somebody, wow, very good. Give her extra brownie points for that one there. That's right. But it was October 31st, 1517, when Luther posted those famous 95 theses there to that. And that was considered kind of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. And we said there were five solas of the Protestant Reformation. Solas means only or alone. And these were some of the guiding principles of that. That was that Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, God's glory alone. Remember about five years ago, we celebrated that 500th anniversary of that. We had a special dinner. And we put together kind of a summary statement here of uh, those key principles of the five solas of the Reformation. And it looked like this. So I thought, you know what, let's just be reminded of that today on Reformation Sunday, of what we believe in. And it tells us this, that on the authority of Scripture alone, we declare that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. God gets all the credit and God gets the glory, right? We're saved how? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation is found in no, in no one else. And it's all for God's glory alone. He gets the glory and the credit. And we base this not on human traditions, but on the authority of Scripture alone. We find our, our doctrine in Scripture then. So just a reminder of that then today on Reformation Sunday then of those things. Well, continuing then with our series here on the life of Christ, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are doing this series focusing on a harmony of the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, following this harmony of the gospel found in the book One Perfect Life. For today, then, we're looking at this idea of upside-down greatness. Upside-down greatness will be in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9, a harmony of those. And here is the key thought that I want us to take away from our message today. And that is that if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you must be a humble servant. If you want to be great... In the kingdom of heaven, you must be a humble servant then. But first, a little context for our text. Last week, we read about what happened when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. A man brought his demonized son to Jesus 
because the disciples were unable to help him. And Jesus expelled the demon, and he told the disciples that they were unable to do it because of why? Because of their unbelief, because of their unbelief. That's a little shocking, don't you think? The disciples' unbelief? I mean, they had been doing this. Jesus had sent them out earlier, and they were doing miracles in his name. They were casting out demons in his name, and now they bring this man brings this one. They're unable to do it, and Jesus says, well, it's because of your unbelief. And he goes on to sell them then, too, that if they had faith as a mustard seed, just even a little bit of real deal, genuine faith and trust in God, even faith as small as a mustard seed, they could say to this mountain, be moved, and it will move, and that nothing would be impossible for them. And so last week then I asked you, do you want to have great faith? Who wants to have great faith here, right? Are you sure? Are you sure about that, right? Because how do we develop great faith? Through being tested and persevering, right? And remember I said, I said last week I had another story about mustard seed faith, but I didn't tell it because of some time considerations. Would you like to hear that now? Said, yes, you would. Of course, yes, you would. You definitely want to hear that. <laughs> because I'm all prepared to tell it, so... Jesus said that mustard seed faith, even a little bit of real genuine faith, can move mountains. But we're told, though, on a different occasion, the apostles, where they were desiring great faith. They wanted greater faith. And in Luke 17, verses 5 and 6, we're told this. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said... If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, Bible scholars emphasize that we are not to take moving mountains and uprooting trees literally, because this is obviously figurative language for doing something seemingly impossible, right? And I would agree with that. We should not take moving mountains and uprooting trees literally unless we should. And it actually happens. You see, because this story happened about 10 years ago or so, I think it was. Amazing how quickly this time goes by here, doesn't it? Some of you may remember there was a very large tree at the end of the driveway near the entrance to the church. And what happened there is that tree, it blocked the view of our church sign in our driveway as you were driving from the west toward the church. And so as a result, then, you'd be driving along, and you wouldn't see the sign or the church until you were right on the driveway. And that always bugged me. How many of you get bugged sometimes by just little things? It just kind of eats at you. And it bothered me that people were trying to find the church. They're driving from the west, and you can't see it until you're right on it there because of this tree that was there. And it didn't help either that the tree was beginning to die, that there were a number of dead branches on it, and so it was beginning to look pretty scraggly too, in addition to all of that. Now, unfortunately, we couldn't just remove the tree because it didn't belong to us. Our neighbor who owns the tree didn't want to take it down. And I even said, hey, we'll do it for you at no cost to you. It won't cost you anything. We'll do all the work. But he still didn't want to do it. 
And one day then, the thought occurred to me, maybe you should pray about that. (laughs) Does that ever happen to you? Sunday, you're dealing with it, you've worked it out, you're trying to resolve this issue or this problem, and maybe, frankly, in the grand scheme of things, it's really not even that big or important of a problem, but it's bugging you, right? And you're in that, and says, well, maybe you should pray about it. Because God says to pray about really important stuff and don't worry about the little stuff, right? No, he says what? Pray in all things. Pray in all things then, right? And so I did. I prayed about that tree there. Well, you know, not very long after that, we had a very violent windstorm come through our area. <laughs> Some of you, do you remember that really bad storm we had a while back that was later determined to be a microburst? Do you remember that, that storm? Well, guess what happened to that tree? It was literally uprooted and moved, right? And here's the thing, only that tree was affected. No other trees on our property, or the neighbors for that matter, were damaged. And so now, you may notice now, if you are approaching the church from the west, you can see the church sign and the driveway from a good long distance away. So you see then, mustard seed faith that uproots trees is not to be taken literally except when it is. So I want to ask you another question today, though, and that is, do you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Do you want to be considered great? Do you want God to consider you great in the kingdom of heaven? And before you answer that, are you sure? Are you sure? Let's look at our text then, a harmony of our text, starting in Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23, Mark 9 and Luke 9. It says, Then they departed from there, and they passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know it. Now, while they were staying in Galilee, while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, He taught his disciples and said to them, Let these words sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. And they were exceedingly sorrowful even though they did not understand this saying. And it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So I want us to notice there with that, I want us to notice an attitude on the part of Jesus in this. We see him and his submission to God's painful but good purpose. Notice Jesus' submission to God's painful but good purpose. You know, Peter, James, and John had gone down from that mountain in Caesarea Philippi. And now with all the disciples and Jesus, they left that region north of the Sea of Galilee, and they returned then to the region of Galilee. 
We're told there that Jesus, he did not anyone want anyone to know that they were there. And you might think that a little strange. Why did Jesus not want people to know that they were there? But he, was, he came to minister to people, to heal people, and to preach to people. Why did he not want people to know they were there? Well, it might help us to understand now, at this point in the ministry of Christ, the crucifixion is a mere months away. We're getting near the end of his earthly ministry. And what do you suppose his focus then was on at that point? Preparing his disciples. He wanted time with his disciples to teach them, to instruct them, to pray for them, to guide them for what was going to happen. And what does he say to them? I love how he says, Jesus says, let these words sink down into your ears. Is that interesting? Now we know Jesus didn't say it once or twice. He said it on a number of occasions. And here, very carefully saying, listen very carefully to this. And he's told them something that was shocking to them. He said what? The Son of Man, he is what? He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Promised One. Well, he's going to be betrayed. He'll be delivered over to men who will kill him but he will rise on the third day. This would have been a a triple shock. Three, three revelations to them here. He, the son of man, Jesus, he would be betrayed. Now being betrayed means what? Someone who is close to you. You're not betrayed by an enemy. You're betrayed by a friend, right? He would be betrayed. There's shock number one. He would be delivered over to wicked men and they would kill him. There's shock number two. But then he would rise on the third day. There's shock number three, right? What were the disciples expecting at this point? In fact, actually, we don't even have to guess because we know and we're going to be reading about it in just a little bit here. What were they expecting? Glory and power and... Life is good. Life is great. He's the, he's the king. He's the son of man. He's the Messiah. He's going to rule. And you know, he's going to be a great political king and ruler. In fact, they were saying, they were arguing about who was going to have the best positions of power in the kingdom. And now he says, I'll be betrayed. I'll be killed. But I'll rise on the third day. This does not compute, does it? This makes no sense. So they're very sorrowful and saddened by this, but confused. They didn't understand. It just didn't make sense. It didn't fit the program that they had in mind. And you know what? That's how it is sometimes, isn't it? That sometimes the ways of God don't make sense to us, do they? Sometimes we we have a plan in our minds for what we expect God to do. And maybe it's a very good plan, a very good thing, but God has something else in mind. If you were one of those disciples, if we had lived back there, I would think, well, come on, why would, why would Jesus talk now about betrayal and 
dying, being killed. He's the promised Messiah. Look at this great power. Look at all these miracles he's performed. Why would he be betrayed and die? And rising on the third day? This just doesn't make sense. Sometimes the ways of God don't make sense to us. As we've considered before, what God's ways are always better than our ways. But we're also told, though, that this was hidden. It was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it. First of all, it wasn't making any sense also, but at that point, God was not revealing it to them. They were Why? Because they were not yet ready to understand it anyway. And in fact, Jesus would later say to them that he was going to go away, but one was coming, we know as a reference to the Holy Spirit, another helper is coming, and he will reveal all of these things to you. That's when all of this would finally start to make sense. So here we see Jesus submitting to God's painful yet good purpose. Wonderfully good purpose. We're told next then, when they came to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And he said, yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? And Peter said to him, From strangers. And Jesus said to him, Then sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and for you. So here we saw Jesus' submission to God's painful, good purpose. And now we see his submission to God-ordained authority. His submission to God-ordained authority. Someone comes up to Peter. He says, hey, doesn't, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Now, what is the temple tax? Well, it was a tax of a half a shekel, which was about two days of wages that went for the upkeep of the temple. And every Jewish male, age 20 and up, was required to pay this annually for the upkeep of the temple. So, hey, doesn't, uh, doesn't your teacher pay this tax? And Peter said, well, yeah, well certainly he does. And And Jesus, anticipating this, says, well, let me ask you a question. Do do kings' sons pay taxes? The answer is no. They're exempt. Kings do not tax their own sons. And Jesus, as the son of God, he really wasn't subject to this tax on his own temple, was he? But he says what? Not to give offense. Some things just aren't worth it, folks, right? Pick your battles carefully, right? 
So, so, but it's not to give offense. He paid it, along with Peter's. And it was a rather unusual and miraculous way of paying that tax, wasn't it? Saying, go down. Peter was a fisherman. He wouldn't have any trouble knowing how to catch a fish, would he? Right? So, so go, and, and you're going to catch it. And the first fish you pull up, it's going to have a coin in its mouth. And you use that, and you pay my tax and your tax also. Wouldn't you love it if Jesus would pay your taxes like that? And mine, too, right? But I think it says something here, too. You know, it's like, why did he choose to do it in such a, an unusual way? I don't know. You know I don't know. It, it, it is a rather unusual way. But I think it does tell something to us as well about sometimes we don't understand the ways of God and that. And, and how did that, obviously it was a miracle, right, this thing. But I wonder, how did this coin end up in the mouth of this fish to begin with? Did, did God just miracle this, this coin into that fish's mouth? Or perhaps more likely, don't you think perhaps one day, and there's a little speculation here, but you think there was probably a natural explanation for how this coin ended up in the mouth of this fish. Now, it was supernatural that Peter caught it, <laughs> and it was the first one he caught, and there it was, right? But I would bet you one day there might have been some fisherman out there, and he, was, he had a few coins, and he's, uh, he's busy doing work, and, and, and some coins fell out of his pocket. Into that. How many of you ever been out on a boat, and, so, and you, you lose something, you lost it, and it goes over the side, and it's gone, and it's like, well, it's gone now. What do you bet one day somebody may have been doing something like that, and a coin fell out, and it went down into, and this fish just happened to, you know, it was probably shining, glittery, right? <laughs> and the shit took a bite on it, right? Right? And you're thinking now at the time, this fisherman is thinking, oh, man, I can't believe that. And yet that little thing, even this accident, was something God used for his purposes later, right? So what's my point? And I do have a point. So what's my point? <laughs> We don't know the ways of God, do we? And sometimes even the most insignificant things, God may be working in that. And so, so sometimes we don't understand maybe things that happen in our life, but we don't know how God may use that in one way or another, perhaps later in our own lives or maybe in the life of someone else, right? We just don't know. Submit to God's ways, God's purposes, Jesus submitted to God's painful, good purpose. And now we see his submission. He didn't have to pay this tax, but he did. Because God has ordained authority. And Jesus submitted to this God-ordained authority. Well, about that time then, we're told this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus when he was in the house saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent. For on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first... He shall be last of all and a servant of all. Then he, perceiving the thought of their heart, 
took a little child and set him by him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. Here we see then submission to one another. Jesus submitted to God's painful good purpose. He submitted to God-ordained authority, and now he instructs us to submit to one another, to humble ourselves before one another. It's interesting, Jesus had told them what was going to happen, but they were still thinking, though, about that earthly greatness that they all wanted. They even come to him and say, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? By the way, do you think the other disciples noticed that Jesus tended to focus a little bit more on Peter and James and John? Do you think they noticed that he took only those three up on the Mount of Transfiguration? Now, Jesus told them not to say anything about what happened up there until after the resurrection. But do you think, though, that maybe the other disciples, and and, and I'm going to assume that they didn't say anything about it at that point, but do you think maybe the other disciples got a little hint like something really special happened up there? They could just tell. And maybe they even asked and said, well, we can't tell you. Right? Maybe. Do you think the disciples, well, we don't have to think. We know. It's in the text. They were rivals with one another, weren't they? Who was going to have the best positions in the kingdom? Who was going to sit on his right and who was going to sit on his left? Who would have the most power in the kingdom? And so now they even come to him and say, who is the greatest? You know, it's like, we need to know, because, you know, each one of them wanted greatness for themselves. By the way, does God want you to be great? Yes, he does. He wants us all to be great in the kingdom. But great on his terms, as he's defining it, right? So Jesus asked them, what was it you were disputing among yourselves? Did he know what they were, as they were walking along, and they were, they were probably, oh, they were back here, they were arguing, disputing among that. Did Jesus know what they were talking about? Of course he did. But he asked them to kind of bring the issue up here, First and foremost, right? So, so, oh, well, what was it you were disputing among yourselves on the road? But what did they say? But they kept silent. Why? They were busted and they knew it, right? Ever that, that somebody, you, you know, somebody comes to you and asks you a question and you just don't even want to answer it because you're embarrassed by the answer you'd have to give, right? So they were silent. By the way, does God hear all of our conversations with one another? 
Yeah, he does. And he not only hears our conversations, our words, what else does he hear and know? Our hearts and the thoughts of our hearts, doesn't he? And so Jesus says, if you want to be first, if you want to be great, he doesn't discourage, he doesn't say, no, 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 don't even think about greatness, don't even, nope, nope, nope. He says, no, he wants, he wants us to be great. But he says what? But if you, if you want to be great in the kingdom, we know how to be, how, do you, how are you great in the world? By what? Stepping over people, stepping on people, asserting yourself above others, right? But Jesus says, well, that's not the way it works in the kingdom of heaven. If you want to be first, if you want to be great, then you must be, if you want to be first, you must be last. And if you want to be great, you must be least. And you must be a servant of all. Now that makes no sense at all, right? You want to be great? Well, then be a lowly servant to all. And then he took a child. Now, we don't know this for sure. It says that he was in the house. Many Bible scholars think that when Jesus was in Capernaum, that he stayed in the home of Peter. And this was the house that's referred to here when he was in the house. And if he takes a child that was there in the house, this might have been Peter's own child. We don't know, but perhaps it was, right? And so he takes this child. He says, oh, you want to be great? You need to be like this child here. Now, what did that signify? Who was, was a child great in their in their eyes no the child was the least among them wasn't it in fact a child then represents what one who is the least humble trusting utterly dependent so jesus is what the the greatest if you want to be great then you need to be what humble trusting and dependent on god in fact, what? If you're going to enter the kingdom, even to enter the kingdom at all, you must be like this child, humble, trusting, dependent. That's how we come into the kingdom. That's how we come into a right relationship with God, is it starts with that humbling ourselves before God, doesn't it? If you think you deserve salvation, if you think you deserve to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, well, you're wrong right there from the start, right? So if you want to enter the kingdom, you must be like this child. And if you want to be great in the kingdom, you must be like this child. Humble, trusting, dependent on God. And Jesus says, what those who humble themselves then and receives others, what accepts other children. Now, I think when he says receives this child... He isn't just he isn't talking about a literal child. It may be sometimes a literal child, but he's talking about what? Other children of God. He's talking about what? One another. When we receive one another, when we serve one another, who are we serving? Him. We're serving Jesus and we're serving the Father, God the Father, when we do that. So if you want to be great, We need to humbly submit to one another and serve one another. The least will be the great. 
So I want us to reflect for just a moment here then on what I'm calling upside-down greatness. You know, it's been said that the, the kingdom of heaven, that rule and reign of, 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 of God's order, God's rule, has been called the upside-down kingdom. What do we mean by that? that? That God has a way of upending things and doing it the opposite of the ways human beings think about it, right? So, for example... If you want to be powerful, what must you do? Be weak, right? If you want to be powerful, be weak in namely what? We're weak in acknowledging our own weakness, and then God's strength is powerful in us and through us. So God's power is made perfect in our weakness. That's uh, one of the things of the upside-down kingdom. Or how about this? If you really want to be wise... What must you do? You must be a fool according to the world's way of thinking, right? And in fact, what is this supreme display of God's foolishness, which is actually wisdom to the utmost degree? Paul says it's what is the, the cross. The cross is utter foolishness in the eyes of the world. But it's God's great wisdom, isn't it? So the upside-down kingdom, weakness is power, foolishness is wisdom. But also greatness is what? Humble service. You want to be great, you want to be first, then you got to be last and you got to be least. We're told on another occasion, (laughs) this isn't the only time this happened, we're told on another occasion when once again they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest We're just hours away from the crucifixion at this point. Once again, they're arguing amongst themselves. And the sons of Zebedee, James and John, their mother comes to Jesus and says, Grant that these sons of mine might sit on your left and your right. And the other disciples are indignant about this. Why? Because they wanted those positions, right? And Jesus says to them, we're told this in Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28. says, Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Oh, you want to be great? You want to sit on my right? You want to sit on my left? You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? The cup is a reference to what? His suffering. Are you prepared to suffer the way that you must if you're going to be great? They said to him, we are able Do you think they really knew what they were saying? No. He said to them, you will drink my cup. Oh, you're going to suffer. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. That God the Father would determine who's sitting on the right and the left. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slaves, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Now, why is he telling them all this? He had already said this before. Why do they need to hear it again? Uh, how often do you need to hear the same truth again and again? How often do I need to, right? So if you want to be great, you must be a servant. And Jesus demonstrated, in fact, not long after that, how did he demonstrate, how did he put into practice exactly what he said right there? He washed their feet. That was the task of the lowliest servant, and he, the master, did it. And of course, what was the supreme and ultimate way in which he served? He gave his life as a ransom for many. In fact, we're told in Philippians 2, verse 3 through 11, do nothing from selfish ambition, ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind, this attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So, you want to be great? Who still wants to be great? Right? You want to be great? Then do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Count others as more significant than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. By the way, does being great in the kingdom of heaven mean that you consider yourself a doormat to be used and abused and stomped on? No. He says what? Don't look out only for your own interests, but also for those of others, right? In fact, put others first. Have the mind of Christ, which was what? Humility, sacrifice, love, and entrusting himself to the Father. You want to be great? Humble yourself, love sacrificially, and entrust the greatness to the Father. So what? And if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you must be a humble servant. Do you want to be great? Are you sure? I hope you do. I hope we all do. Right? But if we're going to do that, we must submit to God's purposes. Sometimes it's painful what God asks us to do or what he's doing in our lives, isn't it? But they're good. They're good purposes. Do you believe that? Are you submitting to that? Submit to God-ordained authority. God has put authority. Jesus demonstrated this mind of a humble servant by submitting to the Father's purposes for him, by submitting to this God-ordained authority. 
But also, and this is key for us, submit to one another and serve one another. Is there someone, who is someone that you can serve? You know, I, I, I might say, you know, it's easy to serve the ones who really love you and like you and appreciate you. Actually, even that can be a little hard sometimes, can it? But what about the ones that don't really like you or love you or give you a hard time? That's the real test, isn't it? When Jesus came and gave his life, did he come for people who were eager to receive him and appreciate him and say thank you? (laughs) No, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us, didn't he? Is there someone in your life that you can serve? Maybe it's right there in your home. Maybe it's your husband or your wife. Maybe it's a next-door neighbor. Maybe it's somebody right here in this room, sitting near you or sitting a few rows away. Who can you serve? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, the truth that you have given to us, Lord. And sometimes that truth is hard to accept or hard to apply. But we know, though, Lord, that you are good, you are all good, and you are all wise, and your ways and your wisdom is always far superior to our own. Lord, we do want to be great in the kingdom, in the upside-down kingdom, where the path to greatness is through humble service. Teach us, Lord, how to be humble servants of one another. Lord, I pray maybe there's one person in our life that would you, would you put that person in, that need on our hearts right now and show us, Lord, how can we serve that person today or this week? Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.